Since 1925, Bowen Lodge has built its reputation as a world-class resort for walleye fishermen visiting northern Minnesota, as well as a premier vacation destination for families seeking the Northwoods experience. Bowen has been owned and operated by the High family for over 40 years and across three generations. Families continue to make Bowen Lodge their home away from home. Traditions have been forged around the campfire, at the beach, on a sunset pontoon ride, or around the cabin. Bowen's five-star location within the Chippewa National Forest allows guests to escape the noise of everyday life, literally and figuratively. Enjoy comfortable cabins overlooking Lake Winnebagoshish, plus a marina that benefits from the calm, protected waters of Cutfoot Sioux Lake. Amenities like fiber internet, AC, and fully equipped kitchens also allow guests to enjoy peace at the lake with the same conveniences of home. The resort is situated at the end of the road in the middle of the woods, giving guests a true experience in the wild north. It's where eagles soar above your cabin and the call of the loons echoes over the lake. At Bowen Lodge, you become family. Start your journey at bowenlodge.com. Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from Elsie's on a Minnesota Twins evening. Really, really uh, humbled Anthony and I are by all you coming on out. Uh, but at least we have the game on for you to watch. Connor Bedard has scored his first goal. Um, thanks to our newest sponsor, by the way, uh, Bowen Lodge at Lake Winnebagoshish. There we go. I've been pronouncing what? this, practicing the pronunciation. Winnie, Lake Winnie. How come it's okay, appropriate that you could say Lake Winnie as a short... Short thing for Winnebagoshish, but it's you can't say mini. All right, Winnebagosh. No, it's oh, Ashish. This is not Winnebagosh, like, because there is a Lake Winnebagosh. Winnebagoshish. Just pipe okay. down, Anthony. Well, you, um, so Winnebagoshish, I've been, I've been practicing the pronunciation all day, thanks to our incredible sponsors, newest sponsor from uh, up there, Bowen Lodge. Uh, you can go to bowenlodge.com. Uh, but how come it's appropriate to shorten Winnie for like make call it Lake Winnie for Winnebagoshish, but you can't call it Minnie for Minnesota? It's, that's just the way it works. Yeah, or Minneapolis. I, I, right. I just I, I don't know. That's just my own thing. But our next live show, November first. Uh, that is that's at just Tuttles. the fact that you even question it is just why you're not a Minnesota guy. I know. Uh, Lake Winnebagoshish. There we go. Uh, Bowen Lodge. Um, all right, so November 1st is our next live show. It's at Tuttles. We haven't been at Tuttles for a while, so excited about that. Uh, hope everybody comes on out. And then uh, we will have another show here at Elsie's uh, later in the month after Anthony and I get back from Sweden. Um, home opener tonight, uh, Anthony, Thursday night, the day this pod comes out. Uh, Florida Panthers come to town. Uh, that's always a very big day when the Florida Panthers come to town, Anthony. Yeah, very big Huge. It is huge. It's exciting. Great logo. Yeah, will great. they bring like a Russo portrait or anything with them, do you think? It's just on the side of the team plane, maybe? Well, there's one in the press box in, uh, in, uh, at the arena there. I think that should be everywhere. I think every press box I go in should have a picture of me. Yeah, I'm sure that it's a big deal for them. I, I know the Panthers really get up for it every time they know that <laughs> they're facing Russo's current team that he covers it's a, it's a beat up florida club right now they're missing some guys sam bennett yeah. eric ekblad uh brandon montour yeah they're uh so it's not quite the same team you'll we saw at the end of last year but but it's i think a significant test for the wild this early part of the schedule just to see florida and toronto right out of the gates two of the better teams in the east two of the teams expected to contend again in the east and i it's i'm just excited it's opening nights finally here it's it's hockey season's upon us, and let's go. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it'll be fun to get on the road again, too. We haven't been on the road uh, since Sicily together um, for the big Brock Faber versus uh, Matty Nyes game. And then, and then uh, really, three nights later um, in Montreal, could be Marc-Andre Fleury's final start in Montreal. He's got a ton of people coming to that game as well. Um, let's talk about this team right now, Anthony. Um, the big news of the week, uh, Kirill Kaprizov gets the alternate captain A for Matt Dumba. Coincidentally, the, um, 
the, the person that didn't get it that was probably the second best candidate or maybe on par with uh, Kaprizov is Yul Eriksson-Ek, but coincidentally because of Jared Spurgeon's injury to start the season, Anthony, he is probably going to start with a letter on his chest for a while as well. Yeah, and I think he would have been deserving. I think the the players all respect him and like him. It, it's this the way the leadership group has worked with this club. You don't have to have a letter to be a leader, and that's been part of Jared Spurgeon's leadership as captain has been a, that of an inclusive guy. So I, you know, I think it's I think it's great for Kaprizov. I think it's it shows that it's we want you to be a scorer. We want you to be the best player, but we also want you to be a leader, and. He's speaking more. He's been more outgoing. He's now he's been here a while, and in for so many reasons, power play, line combos, all that kind of stuff. I, it's I think it's great for him, but it'll be good for Erickson Eck to also be recognized as a guy here in the first couple of games. Yeah, right. And he's always uh, somebody. I mean, the, like Bill Guerin met with um, with Erickson Eck from what I understand the day before. And he was, you know, typical gracious self and I think understood and all that stuff. And you can see in the video when they presented the A in the locker room to uh, Kaprizov, Erickson Eck was there smiling and clapping and all that stuff, which doesn't shock you. It's not like that guy's going to play any different. I happen to write a big story on uh, Erickson Eck for Thursday's Athletic as well. Most importantly on this decision, I was right, Anthony was wrong. On two of the last three podcasts, I predicted Kaprizov and you predicted Eck. Eck, yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, we had a uh, steak dinner on the road as the winner. Yeah, I think you remember incorrectly, but that's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, you, Margo, I, Anthony I did, owes I did me think, a steak I dinner on the road. I think they were going Erickson Eck for yeah. sure. I, um, and it makes some sense this way. Well, you know, and, and I will say, like, all summer, like, really, you know, for a while, I've always thought that Erickson Eck made the most sense. You know, just the type of player he is, the way he leads them into battle, the way that he gave them a major discount on his eight-year deal, all that type of stuff. But, you know, the other way, and the reason why I've started to just feel like change my tune the last little while is you start to think, like, you look around the league and best players on every team have a letter on their chest. Um, and I, I do think that, like, he is the guy that leads this team every single night. I mean, you just see it even yeah, in these exhibition games. if you were talking about who was going to wear a C. Right. Because I think Erickson Eck would be a better makes candidate sense. to be the captain than Kaprizov. But it makes some sense to have your best player be recognized as a guy you want your guys to follow. And and I do think that, like, the way I understand it um, from talking to – from Joe Smith, my colleague, talking to Bill Guerin yesterday, is that er, uh, Kaprizov's actually – assumed, I think, that he was getting the A for a couple weeks. I guess a couple weeks ago, Bill Guerin met with uh, Kaprizov. And again, I will say this. I'm saying this through what Joe Smith told me from the interview at practice yesterday. So I haven't seen the quotes yet. We're going to write about this for Monday. So hopefully I'm not mischaracterizing what Joe said to me on the phone. But that they met a couple weeks ago and that he talked to Kaprizov about it and he wanted it. And um, and I think that says everything, too. I think that might be even why we're seeing him more vocal, talking to the media in English and and all this stuff. Um, and I, I think the other reason why it makes sense, I know that it's an A and people kind of like roll their eyes at that, but look, they have to start thinking about ways to re-sign him. And you right. have to start That's give, what I was making, just going to say. Yeah. That. This is, if this is the first step toward making it easier to get him to, to buy in and stay by empowering him right now, it's worth it. 100%. So uh, it's really cool uh, that that is happening. Um, let's talk about Jared Spurgeon's injury. Uh, just a funky play in the corner in Chicago where he gets uh, checked and they have these like rubber. If you look at the replay of the way the United center is, they got these like rubber things on the glass and it looks like he got himself sort of caught in there awkwardly. Uh, and he, when he, when he came away, he was clearly, uh, clearly hurt. Originally I thought it was actually a lower body deal because after Reese Johnson hit him, their right legs kind of clanked and, and it almost felt like he went down on, on Kaprizov's ankle accidentally, or sorry, Spurgeon's ankle accidentally. And I thought when he skated away, he was pushing only on his left leg, but it is an upper body injury. Um, the good news is that he's only going to miss a couple weeks, it appears. And, um, and, but that, look, they're going to have to, their depth is going to be strained at the very beginning on the blue line. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think it does sound like it's not, we're not talking about something that's likely to be a lingering injury, not talking about something that has a chance to extend to half a season, which is all good news. But this is why you need seven NHL defensemen. Alex Goligoski is about as good a fit as you could find to say, all right, we need a guy for a month to, to step in. 
maybe he couldn't do it for 82 games right now, but for sure for a month he can. And this is why, you know, we've talked a lot about their, the way the contracts fit under the salary cap with this team and have always said that if you just look at Goligoski's in a vacuum, it's a valuable contract. And this is exactly why. Now, instead of having to force a minor leaguer that maybe isn't ready yet or use a guy like a Dakota Mermis who's an eighth NHL defenseman, you've got Goligoski who can step in. He can run the second power play. And I don't think in a short, small sample size – that there'll be that big a difference. It's when you stretch it out over 82 that we saw Goligoski the last couple of years. He's better when he's not playing 82 games. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Um, I just, the one thing I will say is that, uh, like, I, I do, in my opinion, is, is that Goligoski's got a bit of a short shrift here the last couple of years and, and being taken out of the lineup. I mean, I don't watch every single shift, like, uh, dissecting it the way the coaches do. But I don't buy that he is not good enough to be in the top six of the wild. So him stepping in, I completely agree with you. They'll be fine. The one thing that worries me is if they get another injury or, or again, the reality is, is that clearly the coaches don't have a lot of faith in three of these defensemen because Goligoski was scratched 35 games last year and all six playoff games. Addison was scratched 20 games last year and all six playoff games. Merrill was scratched three of the final 13 uh, regular season games and in at least a couple playoff games. So, um, you know, the other day when we were questioning Dean, it was like he was talking on and on about his faith in the blue line. And part of me was like, he's trying to make us forget that he scratched all these guys down well, the stretch. Uh, right. last remember, year. he scratched them because they had added John Klingberg. That's why they all yep. were scratched. Which was end. still a and move that it was, it not. was strange. But when you look back on it, the power play was struggling you didn't want to put Addison back in the lineup because of the liability defensively. So I think every coach on that staff would have said, defensively, I'd rather have Goligoski. I'd rather have Merrill in the lineup, but we need somebody to run the power play. So they took a shot at Klingberg. And, yeah, because they didn't want Addison in right, defensively. I see right. what you're saying. So uh, that's a little yeah. bit different than just saying you lost faith in these guys. It was because of that one specific role that they needed. They didn't want Spurgeon to be a power play, the number one power play guy and be the number one penalty kill guy. So it made some sense why they had to make the moves they did. And, I, you know, I think... Unfortunately, he, defensively, Klinkberg was just terrible, he too. Was bad. Like, I mean, that and game that's why six... that's back. Yeah, like, that game six, man, like, he... Just look at the replay of that. I mean, he turned the entire game around with his Yeah, team. and I, I was mistake. surprised that Toronto took a shot at him this year when they're not necessarily in need of a power play specialist. And... I just keep going back to the deal he turned down in Dallas. <laughs> Can you believe it when you think about it now? And if they had, it would have been the worst contract ever. That, well, for sure that Dallas what was it again has. eight times eight or eight times seven. I think it was seven per year. Yeah. I don't remember how many years it was. Um, yeah, I mean, one every day he gets up, he's got to be disgusted. And two, every day Jim Neal yeah, gets up, imagine, he's got to be like, like just elated. jumping like. Oh. Can you imagine? I don't know. Like we don't know why he said no, but. <laughs> If it was the agent saying, say no, I can get you better, can you imagine like every morning getting up now saying, what the, how, why the hell did yeah. I listen to this guy? Yeah. Like there's certain players that turn down huge money that like, you know, at the time, like, oh, what did I do? But then they get me like Marion Gabbard's a great example. He turned down 8 million a year here on a, on a, like a 10 year deal, turned it down, then wanted it back. Chuck Fletcher came in and said, no, he goes on, but then he wound up making huge money anyway. Um, but there are certain people that that money is never coming back in your bank account. And, uh, and this is crazy. Yeah, Isn't he already hurt for t Toronto? I think? Yeah, he's hurt. Yep. Um, so what do you, you know, the, uh, like I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about like what you think of training camp just based on the fact that sometimes you just don't know how to measure Like right last year, they went yeah. six to one in the preseason. We're really slow to get out of the gate on a very similar road trip. In fact, uh, because I remember in Montreal, I was sitting down with, Bill Guerin, like four games in the season, talking about the state of the team. Yeah, uh, because they got off to such a well. Tough you remember start. they had the they gave up twenty goals in the first three games exactly. at home, yeah. and then they found a way to beat Vancouver here. I think it was an overtime game, and then went and lost in overtime in Boston to start that trip. Right. So it was Montreal. They were one at that time, one three and one, and then finally played the way that they were expected to play against the Canadians, and it started from there. But I, because of that, I thought this year the camp had 
a lot more of what I'd call a business-like feel to it. It was just matter of fact. It wasn't, I don't think the whether they won or lost the preseason games mattered to them. It was more the way they were playing. And they scrimmaged and a lot more. And They did, and had the break in the middle in, for the team bonding thing and then came back to get refocused for a couple games. And I just think it was those things were stressed because of the fact that they don't want to have the start they had last year. So, in fact, we have a graphic we're going to use in tomorrow's show just to take a look at the the first five games of the year last year and then the next 77. And it was the first five they had given up, so it would have been 27 goals in five games. They had could be because they started with the 20 in the first three, but the penalty kill was a mess. The save percentage was 84. They were giving up 35 shots a game. And then from there to the end of the season, it was like the second best goals against in the league, second best save percentage, top 10 penalty kill when they got refocused. So I think this year it was, let's make sure we're focused from the beginning and we're playing the game the way we know we have to play it. Don't get caught up in the – remember, there was a little bleed over from the year before, I think, too, where they had outscored everybody, and all of a sudden they go 6-1 and one in the preseason. I think everybody just thought they were going to pick up where they left off the year before, and no lead safe. We can beat you 6-5 if we have to, and, and they learned quickly that that wasn't going to be the recipe for success. Yeah, they had like 22 or, or 6 on 5 goals the year before. Right. And, and uh, comeback cities and multiple goal comebacks. Right. And he had a lot of the same guys. Yeah. So I think they were just coming into it thinking that we can be loose defensively because we'll just outscore them. Yeah. And, and they had to get a reset. Yeah. And I think this year that reset yeah. has happened before camp even yeah. started. I remember Joe Smith went to Treasure Island for the team's bowling uh, outing after three or four games last year. And Flurry got off to a rough start. He basically was like, I'm scared that the fans want to shoot me, you know, that type of thing. And, yeah. and uh, well, didn't he, he was saying things like, I'd boo me too if I yeah, were the fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, uh, I mean, you know, Flower, he's always Mr. Accountable. Um, Kaprizov, uh, we talked about his leadership a bit. I wanted to talk to you about his camp. I just, like, even, the, like, the game against Chicago, the game against Dallas, like, I just can't believe how hard he plays at times. Like, he was so physical. He gets so angry at times on the ice, and, and it doesn't matter if it's regular season or preseason, he just gets in there. And that's, again, another reason why I think that they go and, and throw a letter on his chest because he is just, he's not your typical superstar. Like, you know, a lot of superstars, they, I mean, look at, look even just like at Ovechkin and the way he scores goals, you know, they'll put an ISO cam on him and he'll be standing like a pylon for like a good 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, you know, cock his stick and boom, goal. Where like this guy is just always motoring and working. Yeah, hard. different kind of player yeah. for sure. But he's a he's a got the fourth line work ethic and the first line skill, yeah. which is a great combination to have. And and he's just uber competitive, no matter what. Even drills and practice, he just doesn't like to lose. So that's which I think is one of his main attributes. So I, I think it'll be interesting. Ryan Hartman looks healthy and. And I think because of that, that line looks terrific. So we'll see if they can recapture some of the magic they had two years ago when Kirill scored 108 points and Hartman had 34 goals. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that they can't at least approach those numbers again this year. Let's talk about the Hartman deal. Uh, three years, 12 million. We talked last podcast about how after the Felino deal, I totally thought that he would come in right at four. Like I just, you know, I had a, a, like, I mean, it's just the, you do the math, right? He's the first line center on this team. The third line left wing just got four million. You think Matt Oates, his agent, is not sitting there? Ah, uh, hello. Uh, then you got to give our guy at least four, and and so he gets the four million at one year less term. I think it's a good contract for him. I think he earned it. It might be a little bit of an overpay if you if you just look at him as a as a player as soul. But on this role that he plays on this team, can, uh, and then you couple that with the fact that he took such a discount on the last contract, it's sort of like you had to make him whole. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that I think it's an overpay. I, I think he's probably worth close to that, it, real close, if not. And Bill Guerin has been a cost certainty guy where I want to know exactly what I'm dealing with, and now he's got the core of the team in place for two years from now when he knows he has to get the Kaprizov deal done but knows he'll have some extra cash with which to work. And I think he like, he wants the guys that are the – backbone of this team I, I know that they'll there will be additions made out of the free agent market but what he wants is 
the the spine right now. The the personality guys, and that's who these guys are. Right. Felino and Hartman probably both fall in that. And the thing, the one thing I like about Hartman is that because of the way he plays, he could be your first line center. But if something changes in the next couple of years, either Marco Rossi emerges as a, right. a, an elite playmaking center, or checking you, center, or checking wing, he could yeah, be a checking absolutely. center or wing and still be a very valuable player on your team. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, you know, I, I just. I, I agree with that signing, um, and uh, and I think that it, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the cost certainty. You know, the reason why I chuckled there is because, um, you know, look, I mean, Zach Parisi is not playing right now. Um, he's effectively retired with two years left on his original contract. I mean, he was at the Twins game the other night. He was just in Ireland golfing. Like, he is not playing. Like, I – and – this is why they, they bought him out. Uh, you know, they did not want to risk cap recapture where all of a sudden on the eve of the season, they had to get rid of a $7.5 million player or $7.5 million worth of players. It would have been virtually impossible. You see how hard it is to move money right now. I mean, there's, there's team, four teams tonight playing short because of, of this hard cap. Um, their majority of the teams in this league have 20 and 21-man rosters. This hard cap and them not – and Gary Bettman essentially not – coming to a deal with the PA to artificially move up the cap a million or two because the players still owner, uh, owe owners money, um, has cost about 30 jobs right now. You know, guys like Zach Bajgosian in the minors, Jujar Kara in the minors, you know, people like that. So um, it would have been impossible to move Parisi. And so while I know a lot of Wild fans at the time and even in the, in the last little while still don't buy into it, Zach Parisi is retired right now, and the Wild would have been absolutely dinged for that. Yeah, without yep. a doubt. Yep. Unless well, they and uh, got him to fake an injury and say he can't play yeah. because of that. And know? the other thing is that when all of these owners, they all are, they all overpay slightly in free agency every year, and they all get bailed out by the cap going up a couple million bucks right. every year. And now it hasn't moved for three years. So you had to see this coming. All of the deals that are made are always made somewhere in the back of their mind knowing that, well, I'll get, I have a couple extra million to work with next year and a couple more million after that, and that just hasn't been the case. So that's why all these teams are stuck right now. Right, and what's strange about it, too, is like we make such a big deal about the cap and the hard cap and they can't go over. You, The rule, the way I read it, is that you can play short one game and now you can go over the cap. So that's the punitive punishment for going over the cap is so so there might come a time here a week two weeks if the wild have injuries where they have to do the same thing uh play 11 and 6 or whatever uh you know short a man but then after that they're going to be able to go and call guys up so it's well, it's a weird it's a weird weird punishment they plan to call a player up they can't take the risk of right being on the road having somebody get sick in the morning and having to play short so they will for sure on the trip and maybe even for tomorrow have an extra player on their active roster just in case. Right. Uh, would you assume it's Murmus? I would assume it's a defenseman because yeah. you can And he's play, the only defenseman they could afford right now. Right. So you it's can play be 11 and 7, right. but you can't really play 13 and 5. Right. So I would guess it would be a defenseman and yeah. And for the foreseeable so, future, yeah. that's probably so the way it, it would work. So it would have to be Dakota Murmus if it's a defenseman because they can't afford even Damon Hunt right now. So he's the only defenseman they can afford as of right this moment. They can only afford forwards uh, Nick Batan. I think I think Nick Sweeney, uh, Vinny Lateria, and Kara as well. Um, and but you know, hey, the cap started yesterday. Caps today. If they call up somebody tomorrow or Friday. You basically are gaining about four thousand dollars a day, so at least they've generated about eight grand here on their, you know, what they could afford here. But you know, then you call somebody up and you're back down to forty. And the reason why they want to, you know, again accrue space is because right now they want to be in a position where they could call up guys like Sammy Walker or Damon Hunt or Ryan O'Rourke or David Spatchik or whoever Carson Lambos, and they can't afford them right now. So that's the reason why you want to try not to have that extra defenseman here. But again, if you're in Canada, you pretty much have to have somebody. We have a microphone right on that table here. Um, if you want to come up and ask a question, uh, be my guest. You don't have to be invited. First five people to ask a question, get a worst seats in the house t-shirt. Um, so come on up and ask a question. Uh, who wants to be the first one? Even though I told you you don't have to be invited. Otherwise, I'm going to ask Anthony how his golf game was. It was right there. It was mediocre. I can just tell you that. Tell me you were paired with Dean and that pissed him off. Nope, I was not paired with Dean. 
he was I, I think he was probably happy to see my game be less than stellar. Okay. Unbeatable home comfort is back. That's right. Aquarius Home Services fall blowout sale has been extended until November 18th. Dive right back into their amazing 25% discount on a complete whole home heating and cooling system or a whole home Connecticut water treatment system. I have both in my home. You'll absolutely love it. Whether it's upgrading your old furnace and air conditioner or elevating your home's water quality, Aquarius is always your answer. Whether your water is city-based or from a well, they have the solution. And if you've been toying with the idea of upgrading your heating and cooling system, don't wait. Grab this one-time offer before Minnesota's relentless winter hits and you know it's coming. Their high-efficiency furnaces bring not just premium comfort, but also financial benefits. Don't miss out on this chance for the ultimate home upgrade and substantial 25% off savings. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com and don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Guaranteed cash offer from Chris Lindell Real Estate is exactly what you need right now. Everyone can see the real estate market is cooling off quickly. Well, don't be one of the houses that doesn't sell. Be a smart seller and get a guaranteed cash offer today. There are no commissions, no repairs, and no open houses. Chris Lindell Real Estate's guaranteed offer puts you in control so you can sell your home fast. The economy and housing market are becoming more uncertain, and homeowners just like you want to make sure you cash in on your equity. And that's why thousands of clients work with Chris Lindell Real Estate. They have over 4,000 five-star reviews because their guaranteed offer works. You sell your home quickly, stress-free, and move when it's convenient for you. Just go to chrislindell.com for a free, no-obligation, guaranteed cash offer. It's available 24 hours a day. They'll make you an as-is cash offer on your home fast. Whether it's a total fixer-upper or in perfect condition, Chris Lindell Real Estate's guaranteed cash offer is the easiest way to sell your home. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, go to chrislindell.com right now and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Question. Uh, yeah, I had a kind of a two-part question about Addison. Mm-hmm. You guys already kind of covered part of it, so you know I was very nervous about asking a question, so I wrote it down, so you already <laughs> kind of covered that, so I was a little disappointed. But uh, first qu- part is, uh, what level of defensive improvement do they need to see from him this year to kind of continue playing? And second was, how do you view specifically what I think is a double standard of Billy and the coaching saying there's not room for a specialist and then going at the trade deadline and acquiring Klingberg, especially when I went and looked at Dom's analysis in the athletic. And as bad as any I mean, defenseman's ever been. He, he, literally, I mean, Klingberg's numbers were unbelievable. It was, that's why it's like the, the one thing that's still like, I get they got him essentially for free, but the one thing that still was weird about this, the trade was for, for an organization that really values Matt Sells's input, who's their analytics guy, uh, there's no way Matt endorsed that. <laughs> Like, I mean, if, you know, there's just no way. Well, they actually did look at it analytically and were convinced that a big part of his analytics mess was where he was playing. Right. And maybe and a big part of where he was playing was him. It could have been. And I, but I, because I talked to Billy about it, in fact, the day of the trade, and then I talked to Matt Sells about it. And they said, we're, we're pretty convinced that his analytics numbers are as bad as they are because their team was a mess. Their structure was a mess. The, the guys he was playing with were a mess, and and they still were after he left. I'm not trying to defend the guy. I didn't I didn't particularly like the deal when they got it, but it was it, but was, again, a, it like, was a no risk deal. Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like you know you get a call from Jam giving you John Klingberg for free. Part of you is looking at well, holy crap, yeah, it's all star John Klingberg on the Dallas Stars. Let's see if we can. Yeah, and, you know, and I don't think there is over the course him. of a season room for a specialist guy. But when you're going into a playoff series like this and it's, look, we just need somebody to run our power play that 
is better than what Kalen Addison had been defensively. And I think they were willing to take a shot because Klingberg at his best was a lot better than Addison has proven so far to be on the power play. Klingberg is one of the best in the league. So why not take the shot and see? It didn't work out, but cost him nothing. Yeah, um, and in terms of your first question, I mean, you know, I'll just say what, what Dean has said to us, and that's that they want the same compete that he shows on the power play at even strength. So just battle. Be gritty. You know, not gritty like Ryan Reeves gritty. Gr- like, you know, compete in your own end. And a lot of that sometimes, like, I know it's become almost trite to say, but watch Jared Spurgeon. Like, Jared Spurgeon's brilliance during his career is because he stops people from getting in the net before they get there. He does his battle there. If Jared Spurgeon let everybody get to the net, the times where he's victimized, it's because he, you know, because of his size, he's not going to shield you out of there. So, and Addison is basically, in my eyes, smaller and less sturdy than than than. Well, the coaches have used Spurgeon, Spurgeon as an example. Yeah, they've they've said to Addison during some of their meetings about trying to get his attention, said, "Why don't you take a look at what Jared Spurgeon does on a daily basis?" Look at how he works. Look at how he prepares himself. Look at how he carries himself. Look at how he battles on the ice. And he doesn't have a single skill that you don't have. So they've been trying to convince him to use Spurgeon as a model just for that reason. Right. And, and you know, again, if, if Addison lets that big forward get to the front of that, he's not moving him. So you better do it before he gets there. Um, and, and that's what I think Spurgeon has done so well. The other thing that Spurgeon has done so well forever is he usually – puts himself in a position not to get hit, where he is, it's uncanny the amount of times that he will come away with a battle from a battle with the puck in the corner or things like that. So, um, so I think what he also does really well is he has a great knack for jumping into the play offensively and never getting trapped. Like He doesn't attack in the offensive zone and then wind up in a scrum and a pile up in the corner and be late getting out. He just has a knack for always staying moving, stays free from the fray. And I, I'm really curious to see if we'll see more of that from Jonas Brodeen this year now that he's playing with Faber instead of Dumba. Did he- because I think for most of his career, even if it wasn't verbalized, he knew I can't take that chance because I don't know where the hell Matt Dumba might be. He might be the guy next to me fighting in the corner for the puck in the offensive zone. And now he's got a guy who he can count on to be responsible defensively, who also skates really well. I think we might see more of that from Brodeen this year. Did it, uh, you know, in your conversations with the coaching staff, I mean, I don't know, it felt to me watching the preseason games that their guys are jumping up in the play uh, more than they did last year. Is that a conscious thing, or is that just what we saw in the preseason? I think they are. Even Lambos, O'Rourke, those guys. And I think a big part of that is what I'm talking about with Brock Faber. Those top two sets now have guys that are go ahead and jump because – we got guys back here who can skate and recover. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, make sure you get your T-shirt from Brandon after the show. Um, any other questions uh, before we uh, continue on? Uh, here, come on up. Again, you don't have to be uh, invited. Otherwise, Brandon's got to do a lot of editing during these. Uh, you might have to put on that, that music that I wrote uh, again. Anthony, thank you for being fashionably late. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize to the crowd for being late today. It's all right. It took a loud ovation from to finally do it 35 minutes into the show, by the way. Probably had to finish up the stakes or something. Yeah. I was getting the scoop from our head coach on the golf course, and he said, I suppose you need some scoops. And I said, well, give us one. We don't have any players. I mean, do you want me to guess who's going to be scratched tomorrow? That's true. (laughs) Nobody. Uh, Maybe Dakota Mermis. Right. uh, I assume Phil Augustuson start in game one. I, I think we could assume that. I'm assuming, but I didn't even ask him that. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting your question. Not a problem. Um, just curious about what you guys think was the catalyst for the uh, revoking of the rainbow uh, tape on the, on the uh, sticks and uh, what other ramifications might be coming from that. Um, well, I mean... Pr- one of the reasons is probably the T-shirt, the, the sweatshirt you're wearing, that team. Um, I mean, last year it just became um, with whatever you want to give the – whatever you want to – if you want to call it an excuse or not, um, a lot of players exercise their, 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 their uh, free speech down the stretch and didn't want to wear them. A lot of them were Russian players, again, whether or not – you know, there are some people that buy, don't buy into the excuse and all that stuff – 
Um, you know, the one thing that it became is, is an embarrassment to the league, embarrassment to these teams that all of a sudden were at last second. You know, a certain player on the wild doesn't want to wear the jersey because they're maybe scared for some reason or not. Now Bill Guerin pulls it from everybody else. That was becoming more and more of a thing as that season went along last year. So the league went this way. I fully expected the league to actually get rid of these jerseys and to probably get rid of all the initiatives. What I thought is that they were going to still allow these teams to do whatever initiatives they wanted. And then, you know, similarly, if a team, if a player didn't want to wear it and now the, the jersey and the team had to pull it from the entire team, the players, even if they wouldn't want it or not, they would still allow some sort of option for players that want to show their support for different communities, whether it's, it's you, know, the, you know, right now the pride stuff or the military or whatever. So I never thought that they would go the route of just getting rid of pride tape. I mean, it makes no sense to me. If John Merrill wants to use, wrap his stick in pride tape, why should he not be allowed to on that night that the Wild are celebrating or supporting the community. So that's where it just, like, I don't know how the league didn't think that this would get out and be such an unbelievable black eye to the league. And it is. Um, it's, it's embarrassing. And now it's even more embarrassing that you have players coming out and basically saying, I'm doing what I want. What are you going to do, find me? You think the league is going to go to John Merrill and be like, you're suspended for a game or fine? The other thing that is unbelievable here is that the NHL Players Association is clearly silent on this. No statement, nothing. So clearly they were part of this agreement, even though they tried to claim that the league just told them that it was, it was not. So uh, it's, it's very strange to well, me. Well, it was the players' union that jumped to the defense of the players who didn't want to participate. Right. So you can imagine that they're, they don't want to be the ones. I, I just think it was the league decided it wasn't worth the headache. Now, the... But the pride tape, to go the route I, of like saying that nobody can have pride tape right. is just All stupid. I would say is that you can still have the Knights in your building, and does it change it if the players aren't wearing different jerseys and warm-ups when 3,000 people out of the 18,000 are, are even there for that part of the night? I, I never really – I don't know that that really has to change it. Teams are still free to have whatever night they want to have. Right. All that they've taken away is the – players wearing the jerseys and the warm-ups. Right, but now the, think, then they go into the pride tape and things like that. And I don't know why. I, I just don't get the rationale of the league saying we're just getting rid of pride tape. That was always an option anyway. You know, sometimes it was four guys. Sometimes it was 15 guys. Sometimes it was no guys. But to, to, to just to put it out there like that, they took what was an old story. Like, they, it was announced months, like weeks ago, that they were getting rid of all these different nights, indigenous night, U.S. military Hero Appreciation Night, um, the Pride Night, all this stuff. They were, it was an old story. And then all of a sudden, this memo goes out. It was completely botched, the original memo. Then they redid the memo. And, and then they, they banned the Pride tape. It just it seemed to be like a way overkill to go that route. And then they made it a story again. And now they're all pissed off that, that this is getting oxygen. When, when they're the ones that created this by, by doing the whole, by banning Pride tape. And now what they did for this pride company, uh, the, the tape is apparently they're like sold out of it now because people are like, screw the NHL, we're going to go get the pride tape. So um, I can promise you John Merrill will have it. This, you know, he's, he's been a supporter for a long, long time. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just really fascinating to me. I just think the league just, which yeah, is so image conscious right. all the time. Uh, completely botched this thing, and clearly the PA was involved in it because they have said absolutely nothing. I'm, I'm not surprised with that at all. It's, yeah. it's really disappointing. And, and same thing, by the way, when it comes to the cap. Like, again, a trivial issue, but the PA had the ability to go to the bargaining table with the league and make concessions, and the other side as well, to up the cap even a million or two. A million of two would allow players on these teams right now. So now, again, the PA failed, the league failed, and now you have teams that are playing shorthanded right away out of the gate, which is a risk to the union, um, to the players on there. It just, like, I, I, I love the NHLPA. I think that they are trying to do the right thing, but these are two things that they could, could have gotten in front of. And I think that this is, um, you know, for as good as what they did in getting Mike Babcock out of Columbus, I think these two things are failures on both sides right now. Awesome. Um, quick question. What do you expect to see from the new power play coach this season? 
Well, I think the one significant change we saw was different positioning for Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Boldy. And that, if you really talk systems, I think that's the biggest change. And with that comes a little bit more of a early shot mentality on the power play. And I think that's what stood out in some of the preseason games is how fast pucks were getting to the net. But I don't necessarily know that that's a a system change as much as a personnel change. So you, when you watch it, you'll see that Kirill Kaprizov used to be the guy in the middle, what they call the bumper, and Matt Boldy was the guy in the shooting spot on the half wall. Now Kaprizov's that guy. Pucks come off his stick a lot quicker. Boldy's a good shooter, but it's a different kind of shooter. And he's got great hands where I think he'll probably thrive in that bumper spot. But now you, got, you have the best scorer on your team in the shooting spot. Shots happen faster. And... What we saw where they had some success, even when they didn't score in the preseason, was right off faceoffs, pucks were getting to the net. And that creates chaos quickly. Rather than pass it around and let the defense get set up in their whatever defense, their penalty kill strategy is, now it's get the pucks on the net and maybe they're not organized enough yet and chaos creates opportunity. And that's what I think we'll see a little bit more of. Questions. Uh, make sure you get your T-shirt. Make sure you get your T-shirt. Ms. Flurry, Brandon's got it. Pat Maroon, love your feedback on what you th expect from him. His pedigree with three cups, and he totally had the Pat Riley thing going on Saturday night. Yeah, he's got the Pat Riley thing going most times when I've seen him so far. I, I like him better than Ryan Reeves in that role. I think he brings a lot more to the table. He brings some skill. I like Ryan too, and but Pat Maroon brings some skill. And now all of a sudden your fourth line has a guy on there that is there to do more than just run people through the wall. And, and I, so I think he'll bring more versatility to their lineup yet to be seen. I think, you know, I mean, he has won three cups at the same time. He hasn't been brought back everywhere he's been. So we'll have to see how that works so far. All indications are around the team that everybody seems to like him. And we saw a little glimpses of it in the preseason. Like he has some offensive skill He's not the fastest guy, but he's playing with two younger, quicker guys. He was on a pretty slow line in Tampa, and now he's going to be paired with a couple of younger guys who can move. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him have a little bit of a, of a spike offensively. I'm not saying he's going to score 40, but we'll see a little more offense from the fourth line perhaps. I loved him fighting Ben the other day. Like that to me yeah. is what Ryan Reeves didn't do. Right. Like, you know, like somebody needed to take care of Ben the other night, yeah. <laughs> and he does it. And I'm not, I'm, I swear to you, I'm not like this big fighting proponent, um, but there, are, there is a role for it in the National Hockey League. Um, somebody probably should have done it to Reese Johnson the other night yeah, in Chicago. I wish uh, Middle, Chicago. Middleton was on the ice when yeah, that happened. Exactly. And I was shocked yeah. he didn't. And Durr, you know, and, and, and especially like Reese Johnson, he's fine dishing it out, but then Connor Durr hits him with a clean hit and he's got to go fight him. Right. Like but somebody needed Middleton to take care of him. After end. he hit Spurgeon, and then he frankly hit Middleton on the same shift. If Middleton goes and knocks him silly right then and there, it's done. Instead, it's Dewar that winds up having to drop the gloves against him. So there was that. That was number one. But then number two, I agree. I thought the, the Maroon and Ben thing to me was as much sending a message to your own team as it was to the other side to say, I'm your guy. I'm here for you for the rest of the season. And, and I think it's great because, again, it's Dallas. The Wild play them four times-ish. I, I haven't looked at the schedule. So you're also it's a, an, a reminder to Jamie Ben that next time he comes here and starts doing the stuff that he does, that Pat. Yeah, how great there. was it to watch he and Hartman oh, play yeah. games with each other early? Where it's you guys are two of a kind. You're both just in it to get under the other guy's skin, yeah. and and you wound up both of them getting right in the middle of it right away. Yep, and uh, it just it, yeah, it needed to be done. Like the guy clubbed Erickson Eck in the head with a stick, and that was not an accident um, at all. So wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, whoever you're entertaining, if you want to have a great dinner party, you got to go to Kowalski's for the best ingredients. And I recently have visited a few different ones. I always go to my neighborhood Kowalski's in Shoreview, and I love the people there. I love the service, and I love the quality of the food. But lately, we driving back one time from a glamping trip, we decided to stop down on Lindale and, and pick up some steaks there. They had a few different cuts of steak than you'll find at other Kowalski's. I was at the Kowalski's in Stillwater the other day. They have the Terrace Major cut that I really like. So wherever you go, there's one in your area. And if you're going to entertain, if you're going to have a great meal, you got to start with the greatest ingredients. And for that, 
go to Kowalski's and remember to come out and visit us September 14th at Woodbury Kowalski's at 6 o'clock. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Get $250 when you switch to a Royal Credit Union checking account. When I go to Royal, I feel very connected there. See details and open your account by November 15th at rcu.org slash checking bonus. Insured by NCUA. Question. Hey, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, it's interesting point, especially about Maroon. I'll get to that in a second. First thing I want to say, though, is... Uh, so I grew up around here and I moved away. I live in another NHL market now. And I, really, I see it on your hat. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say it because I'm about to th- throw some shade at them. But I uh-huh. uh, uh, really appreciate what you guys do for the TV team because I think where I live now, that they suck. They, <laughs> I think they're, uh, they're TV people. It's just a gong show. So I appreciate what you guys do. They're athletic. Without saying what, you're, what team, you're not going to say, right? You're not going to tell people in the not pod, right? Not the mic, no. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, they, the TV people are tr- atrocious. Um, but hey, question, uh, and you kind of just hit on it a little bit. As far as team culture, I'm a big culture guy, whether it's at work or sports or anything. Um, you know, we lost. We talked about losing Dumba. You talked about losing Reeves, but you picked up Maroon. You know, how would you rate their room, and and how would you rate their culture compared to other teams you've covered? For instance, just on another national podcast this week, they they called them a vibe team with the tarps off and everything. You know, how would you how would you describe their room? Well, I'll I'll let Michael tag this in a minute because for me it's this is just different than what their rooms have been. It's better right now than it's maybe ever been here in Minnesota. This is a tight group and all you have to do is look at the way they hang together away from the rink and in some of these team bonding things and then some other spontaneous ones to tell you that. And you can just see, like, you can sense when there's tension inside a room and there isn't any here. And I haven't covered any other NHL teams, but I walk through their rooms and you can, you can tell the ones that are good and the ones that are not. Dallas, for example, had a really tight room. I thought last year, they were, they were a great bunch. And you had a chance, I know, to cover those guys a little bit after they had eliminated the wild in the playoffs and thought the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to get to your question on Minnesota, I mean, the only thing I could say is that, um, and I don't think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, saying something that he wouldn't care that he would care that I said, but Joe, Joe Smith's covered Stanley Cup winners, um, multiple conference champions, uh, multiple teams that have gone to conference championships, uh, one team that went to the Stanley Cup final but lost, um, and he says this is the closest room that he's ever covered. Um, so, um, you know, he told me, he's told me that three or four times in training camp. Now, does it translate on the ice to wins? My gut is wild fans would write, would welcome a uh, less tight room that goes and wins a cup like the Tampa Bay team. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, so, you know, does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Only the way that things end at at the end of the year. So, um, for what it's worth, the wild have a great room. So question. Yeah, I have a statement and a question. The first one is, I'm a pretty positive person generally, uh, and I think that players, if they ever consider or think about the 14K that they might be in the hole with the salary, should maybe flip it on the other side and think of how awesome would it be if you won the Stanley Cup and you could say, we were down that much money for the team, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Uh, Totally agree with you. I think that's even just to be a playoff team each year during this buyout period is really amazing when you think about it. It really is. The, the fact yeah. that the last two years they've had to be 12 points the cap and been 100-point clubs that have gone to the playoffs. And two more years now, this year, if everything goes, if, if nothing crazy happens in the division, they'll be a playoff team again, $14 million under the cap. Yeah, and that's why, you know, the other thing is, like we're talking about how half the league is, prob- is right bunched up against the cap. And that they are already four teams in the league playing short. It's very different than the Wild spending 14.7 and being up against the cap. These teams are spending 15 million more than the Wild and already have to play short. So just imagine, you know, like, like really how good of a job the Wild have done with their contracts. Well, in this and if situation. you start to look at, as we've, we, when we talked about our guesses within the division, Colorado, Dallas, best two teams, if healthy. But then you start to look at the teams in the middle, like Nashville, St. Louis, Winnipeg. Give the Wild $15 million more, and those teams aren't even in the same stratosphere. And yet those teams are all pretty tight against the cap. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting right now because the Wild have $12 million going into next year, and that doesn't seem like a ton. 
Uh, but all they got to do is fill out their fourth line, get a goalie, and get a sixth, uh, like, you know, a defenseman, essentially. Right. And if you think about it, their goalie is definitely going to be Volstat. That's less than a million right there. So now you're down to 11. 11 million to fill out your fourth line and your blue line. Like, if they go cheap on their fourth line, they could technically go out and pursue a pretty decent defenseman. A lot of this will be dependent on how does Lambos do this year, how does Hunt do this year, how does work do this year. If those guys don't look like they're ready to come next year, we actually could see the Wild make some sort of move in free agency next year to really upgrade this team, you know, uh, depending, again, what they spend on their fourth line. And so uh, they, they actually have a decent amount of cap space, and I'm sure they want to leave themselves much more room than they have this season going into next year as well. Um, to allow themselves to, one, have call-ups and not be in this situation, but two, maybe go in the deadline and make a move. So, question. Um, I know Dewar was asked to do some work in the face-off face circle during the offseason. Um, I'm curious if you guys noticed any improvement during the preseason. And, I mean, for the rest of the staff, right, the, the Wild weren't the best in the face-off circle uh, throughout the entire year. So did anybody else make any efforts to make that improvement, and did you see that during the preseason? Uh, yes, is the short answer to all of the above. And we actually have a bunch of stuff. I was just putting it together this morning that we're going to talk about face-offs tomorrow night. There's, there's a few things in play. One, Jewel Erickson Eck has gotten better every year. Six consecutive years, he's been better than he was the year before, but he still hasn't ever gotten to 50% for a year. He, to me, looks like a guy who should absolutely be a 52 53% face-off guy. Uh, Dewar's numbers in the preseason were the best on the wild. And he did work hard at it during the offseason. Um, I talked a little bit with Darby Hendrickson about it last week, and he was talking about some of the specific things they've worked on with him to be stronger in certain areas. Uh, Marco Rossi put a ton of work in to be a better face-off man, and part of it is lower body strength. But I think one of the things to watch with him, assuming that the lineup stays healthy, he's playing with Freddie Gaudreau, and if the two of them – are allowed to only take faceoffs on their strong dot, you might see both guys spike a little bit. And because the bottom line is the Wild haven't been higher than, and this is off the top of my head, but I did build the graphic this morning, so I'm trying to remember. I think it's been six years in a row they haven't been higher than 24th in the league, and overall over that stretch they're 29th. And it has to improve. It absolutely has to improve. It catches up with you. I know sometimes they try to downplay it and say that a face-off win doesn't t d lead directly to scoring chance. But over the course of a season, if you're chasing the puck all the time, it matters. Yeah, and, I remember. And we saw it matter in the playoffs yeah. the last couple of years. St. Yeah. Louis was far better two years ago. Dallas was far better last year. And especially on the penalty kill, when you – when you lose that first face-off, whether you're on the power play or the kill, power play, you waste 20 seconds going and getting reorganized, and the kill, you're immediately on your heels. So yeah. it, they have to be better, and I believe they will. I remember, was it like two or three years ago when uh, Colorado won the Cup, and everybody was yeah. like, well, they were 30th in face-offs. Right. So I'm like, yeah. You know what? When you have McKinnon and Landis Skog right. and McCarr and Rantanen, they were almost then better wake off. Me, then wake me up right. when the Wild have that. Then they were better I'll not off worry to lose face-offs face because it yeah. brought the puck yeah. into the offensive zone, it's, and then they just go take it away. Yeah, it's just it was. It's not the same. That's right. for sure. Question. So you mentioned Marco Rossi. Um, that's a good segue. I've got a Marco Rossi question. So I I get that he needed to work on his strength. Um, I also understand that the team is built on a meritocracy, where I guess you have to earn your place in the lineup. Um, Marco's shown in overcoming um, myocarditis that he's, he's got no quit in him. Um, I like the idea of him starting on the third line, but what does he need to do to break into up. the top six? Is it feasible that, you mentioned earlier, that Hartman could be used as a checking line centre? Is it feasible that they might swap him at some stage? Yeah, or if they did that, maybe move Eck up. First of all, you sound more intelligent than both of you and I. I'm just <laughs> saying. Just nature, your Eloquent. accent. accent. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that absolutely, uh, but I will say in camp, they, they really never, you know, like Dean said that they were going to give looks to that. We never actually saw it. But it will. It, it, to me, it'll be completely obviously how he does, but how does Hartman play? If Hartman is, like Kaprizov loves playing with Hartman. If Hartman is great in that spot and that line's going and the Erickson X line going, there's no reason to make changes. If there's a struggle, my gut says before putting Rossi there, they would probably move 
Erickson Eck up there and then move Rossi to the second line because of his chemistry that he's had with Boldy in the past. That would I don't I I really don't ever envision right away them just saying, All right, we're gonna put Rossi in that spot. Um I think yeah, it would you, probably be you just never pick. know. Yeah. If he if Marco Rossi comes out and lights it up, he'll get opportunities. And he's going to get some with better players on the power play. He will be a part of the second power play group. Uh, they even today at practice were using him a little bit at the tail end of penalty kills. He and Marcus Johansson killing together, so we might see some of that. There will be little spots within games where he's playing with more skilled guys and have opportunity to show that, hey, if I'm with this guy, all of a sudden things click. There will be plenty of opportunity for that over the course of the year, and he has to take advantage of it. He has to, he has to produce, and it can't just be the eye test. He has to put points on the score sheet. Yep. Um, any more questions? A couple more minutes left in the show. What is up? Yes. Hard-hitting question for you guys. Oh, boy. In the NFL, uh, you know, you hear a lot about the players playing fantasy football, right? It's really popular in the locker rooms. Is the same true in the NHL? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And se- second part of the question. Actually, yeah. in the NFL, they can't play fantasy football. It's yeah. it's more other locker rooms that play fantasy football. I don't think the NFL guys are allowed yeah, to play. I don't think that would be uh, no. but something they'd allow. But in almost every NHL locker room, there's a fantasy football yeah, league. It, not in almost, in everyone. And it is cutthroat. Um, Zuccarello has won the last couple. Uh, actually, I mean, the only reason why I know, I have a lot of intel I could tell you on the Wilds uh, Fantasy Football League, but Joe and I are working on a really cool story on it. Um, so Pierre Lebron, actually, I was with Pierre when, when we were up in uh, the Vegas car wash, uh, the NHL media tour, we call it the car wash. And um, one of his really cool story ideas is at the end of every player that we met, they, he got all the intel on their fantasy uh, football league. So with the subscription, The Athletic, that you uh, won tonight, I highly recommend you going back to earlier uh, September and finding that story. It would have probably ran around September 13th or 14th. We were there till the 14th. I think it ran the 15th. So go back and you will find it hilarious because he literally, I think we had 29 players in there. So essentially 29 teams represented. And there is so many funny lines and funny things about all the fantasy teams. Um, Like I was there during all the interviews and I couldn't wait to read his story because some of the anecdotes were hilarious. So um, it's a a huge thing. There was a fight. Remember, I think it was baseball players that had been a part of a fantasy football league. One got traded the next year. They cross paths during batting practice or something and like got in a fight because one guy had either not paid his dues or hadn't gotten paid as a win or something. It, I can't remember who it was, but it, it was a big deal. And at that point, they, the league kind of stepped in and said, maybe we ought to scale these back a little bit, but, but in the wild locker room, they do it. I mean, and they've got masters pools and NCAA basketball pools, but they wouldn't be playing fantasy hockey in their locker room. Uh, by the way, John Klingberg, two assists so far tonight. Oh, nice. As I said, just a great pickup for anybody. Um, well, we'll see him in a week. Yeah, exactly. In, in two days. <laughs> Watch, he's just like lights out defensively, lights the wild up offensively, and just makes me my words and everything. Ryan Reeves fights everybody. Um, yeah, that'll be typical. <sighs> Any other questions? We're going to wrap up the show, and we're going to see if I can pronounce a Winnegoob. Uh, I didn't even know it existed, but I'll go with Winnebagoshish. Winnebagoshish. Uh, Lake Winnie. Lake Winnie, yeah. uh, which is in the state of Minnie. Um, any other questions, Brandon? Could you, again, imagine that Brandon has, has edited every one of these shows? Like, could you just imagine how miserable that would be? <laughs> <laughs> to have to, like, I don't like listening. Like, I, I was transcribing myself. Um, so I wrote uh, part two of Erickson Eck today, and I had to go back to this. Um, oh, no, sorry. It was my Madonna story that came in today's athletic. I was, like, listening to the interview as I was transcribing, and I was, like, nauseated by my voice. Nauseated. Like, the questions I asked, the way I asked, I'm like, I cannot imagine that people actually listen to these podcasts. There's an, there's an ad. Um, yeah, well, cut that, Brandon. Make cut, sure you cut that. Throw uh, that right on the promo yeah, and, at the and front. And Brandon's only had to listen I to me. I can't imagine why you listen to this. times. Yeah. What are we at? Four fifty. Four twelve. That's it. Yeah. Brandon Not that he's has counting. Has, has had to, <laughs> to edit four hundred twelve of me, uh, and that's just one twelfth of his job at the network. 
Last question, or second to last question. Penultimate question. Uh, regarding you the, thought you were the smartest person in the room. How about that word? Yeah. Huh? Regarding the Felino contract, um, question on you know disregard you know how much he's making you know the term you know people whether they agree or disagree. Uh, kind of after the last three years and you know the last year career not great you know not great season. What was the reason for him getting a pay raise? Um, they bought out four years of his free agency and the market, they thought at a minimum he would get four times four. So that's essentially what it is. It's like, yeah, does he give them a discount? Probably not. But on the open market, Marcus Salino is getting that. And so that's the reason for the pay raise. If they don't give him that, he's not going to sign and he'll just go to free agency. You know, I mean, I guess that's the game of chicken. Do you he think really he would have gotten four by four? I really do. I yeah. don't think they would have given it to him. I, I think he's a very, very valuable piece. Yeah, I, I agree like with that. Yeah. I thought when the, just in my own mind, when I'm okay, he's for what are they? What do I think they'll give him? I was thinking it would be more three by three. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm surprised you think on an open and on the open market, there's always somebody that's going to have more money that would be willing to offer a little bit more. But and I, but I don't he, know what the cap brings, going up and what he brings. Yeah, he brings a room. lot. He he's an extremely respected player. Um, I mean, heck, his brother makes $4 million and his brother's not the same player he used to be. So I know that's a different situation. Chicago had to get to the cap, execution, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I really do. I don't think the Wild give him that if they don't think that he gets that. Yeah, I, I know think they, they did. I was asking I, what you, know, you thought. But I, I think that, that like, their you think, front, you think somebody out there would have I think their front gone. office, I think they, they sit there and they plug in who they think would go after him, what their cap space is, and. And things know, like that. I know the Wild do. I'm asking, do you think they somebody would have given him that? I think that it would have been out there. I don't know if he's going to go sign with that team. Like, if it's yeah. San Jose, is he going? There? Right. That's you know, what I'm like, saying. Yeah. Is I think the only teams that probably would have had the space, roster-wise and money-wise, might have been the Arizonas, yeah. the Chicago's, the San Jose's of the world, and I don't know that he would have wanted I, to go I, there. Look, I, I will say, and I've said it, like, I was, I was surprised by the deal. Like, I, I thought they were going to offer him, essentially give him, like, the same exact contract and see if he took it at three times three one. So when the numbers came across the desk, I was certainly uh, like, wait, what? <laughs> You know, there's no doubt for the reasons that you said. Right. He's coming off a. But, and I love season. the guy. Yeah. I th and I, yeah. he, he's a. And I said on last year's pot, last week's pot, like I, I, I cover him for the rest of my career. He, and he's somewhat of an irreplaceable guy, especially in this team, because of what he brings in terms of physical play and a little bit of punch. And you know, he scored 42 points two years ago. He scored 21 last year when he was fighting injury. It's probably somewhere in between there. And I do think that that. You know, we don't. Some we kind of sometimes poo-poo this, but they he he is in their minds imperative to the culture of this team. The stuff that we don't see behind the scenes, the loudness in the locker room, losing Dumba and Reeves. You know that stuff that that Bill Guerin, Dean Evison, and Chris O'Hearn and the whole gang absolutely value from him. So, last question of the show. So I'm going to go the other side of that. Winnipeg extending Shifley and Hellebuck. Uh, it was such a S show at the end of the year with bonus dumping all over the team and everything. And then those guys re up for eight and a half each. What do you think of that? Seven and a half each, right? I think. I thought it was eight and a half. Maybe each. it was eight. Um, I mean, Should what I, I think of it is when you are offered eight and a half for seven and a half million dollars on a long term deal, sometimes you're like, yeah, Winnipeg's not that bad. Shipley surprised me. At Hellebuck, I thought they'd probably figure out a way to make a deal, but it, it sounded at the end of last season like it was a foregone conclusion that Shifley would be gone, and it might have been mutual. Yeah. Like, the team seemed kind of tired of Shifley, and Shifley seemed tired of Winnipeg. And, 42 goals, though. Right. And and maybe they ended up thinking, like, getting rid of Wheeler would be enough to change things over because I really felt like they had a, they had a disjointed room in Winnipeg, and we were talking about culture inside a room. Winnipeg's was a mess, and... It was an underachieving mess because of it. And I think they decided, let's get rid of Wheeler, we'll see if things change, and now we'll see if Shipley can match it. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Yeah. Um, he was an original scribe in the first year of the uh, Donkey And Shifley was an addition to the Panthers last year. I think I got him for 18 bucks that year. Okay. Uh, thanks, for everybody, for coming on out here. Uh, thanks to Greenbelt for having us. Thanks to Elsie's for having us. Next live show, November 1st at 7 p.m. at Tuttle's. Uh, super excited for that. Again, Tuttle's. 
um, on November 1st. Uh, love going out to Hopkins. I uh, hope everybody comes on out. Thanks to our incredible sponsors, and thanks for joining us from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Uh, and Aquarius Home Services has been our, uh, our uh, longest sponsor by far. I got everything of theirs in my house. It's pretty awesome. They're the installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. Thanks to Bowen Lodge, our newest sponsor, bowenlodge.com from Lake Winnebagashish. How about that? Lake Winnie, Aquarius Home Services, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Kowalski's Royal Credit Union, and as I mentioned, Grain Belt as well. Make sure you come out to Tuttle's too. Grain Belt always has awesome uh, uh, beer specials for us. Uh, so definitely come on out there. Thanks, Anthony, for coming at uh, 750. 703. Yeah, 703. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate that. Happy to be here. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world. Lake Winnebagoshish?